that'd be shorts weather in Canada. You sound just like a Canadian. They're built for the regular season. They're a well-oiled machine. In my humble opinion. Also, if you haven't heard, Jason Tatum 610. On wax for the world to know. Oh man. Honestly, guys, you sound like a girl who's scared of love. I am a girl who's scared of love. It's theirs to lose. I think they're a high ceiling, low floor. I'm gonna make a joke because I am a glutton for punishment. They're just the massacres, bro. That shit was bonkers. I'm not gonna do what y'all did, Alonzo. But it is a new day, gentlemen. Because the bright future suns are finally fucking here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Charity Stripe Commentary. This is your host for tonight, Sean Lawler. I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, international aficionado, just networker, Trey Hill. How are you doing today, Trey? I'm doing well, sir. Um, that was an interesting intro, but I'm sure you're going to explain that soon enough. <laughs> yeah. Tonight, we have a special guest. Trey has been networking. Um, he loves looking into prospects, so he reached out and found one in Ignacio Risotto. How are you doing today, sir? Hi guys, thank you for, for inviting me on the podcast and I'm doing great for reasons that we're gonna explore in this, this podcast, but today, 23 of, of June, I'm particularly doing great and you're, we're, we're gonna get into why into this podcast. <laughs> now, before, before we get into it, you write articles and they're at id-prospects.com, correct? A exactly, yeah. Um, we, it's a website, we cover international prospects. We consider international prospects, every prospect not playing in North America. Um, and we go from professional prospects, uh, all the way until prospects, you know, that going to be draft eligible in 2023, 2024. Um, so we, we try to cover a wide range of ages. Uh, we try to cover all over the world and you know uh, a wide scope of, of prospects that someday might get to the NBA so if you want to you know be one or two or three years uh, ahead of the curve just get get to the side or follow us on Twitter and uh, we'll we'll get you covered there. Nice and how long have you been doing this Ignacio? So I started uh, scouting on my own probably around 2016 uh, but when it comes to international scouting, I started doing this full-time around summer 2018. Um, so that's this is actually one of the first drafts where I come in and say, okay, I've been watching, you know, Usman Garuba and Schengen and all the guys that we're going to discuss today for the past three, four seasons. So that gave me kind of seeing the arc of development of development of these guys is, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a new experience and watching kind of the finished product before getting to the NBA is, uh, I don't know, it, it, having all that historic perspective on how the guys were when they were 15, 16 and how they are now, it's, it's kind of crazy for me. Yeah, you're kind of like that high school coach with his first full team all the way through yeah yeah exactly these are these are my juniors i think my my seniors are coming in in next year's draft but, <laughs> but yeah definitely it's been it's been crazy to to watch their development for sure so i know we discussed before we came on the pod that there were there were kind of a big four in this draft right now of the big four of those of your juniors which one's your favorite so let's mention the 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 big four Usman Garuba, Alper, and Schengen, 
Rocco Prokocin and Joshua Giddy are generally seen as the consensus top four international pr prospects in this draft. Um, I made the case the other day in, a, in the ID Prospects podcast, and I'm going to try to do an abbreviated version here for Usman Garuba. I think um, so. Garuba is a six foot eight forward from Real Madrid, uh, turned 19 years old a couple, a couple of months ago. And I think my reasoning with him is generally shooting is when you have a prospect whose main flaw is shooting, I think NBA teams generally get the shooting development, development right more often times than not. So when I have other three prospects with their own flaws in, in areas that I feel are more um, could hamper their development if they don't fix it. And while with Garuba, the only flaw that I see is that he might not be able to shoot. And so if I trust the NBA to develop the shot in most cases, then I think he has the, the best path to become a positive player at the NBA level. I, I'm, I was right there too. That was, I'm so glad you said his name because yeah. I, I've seen the uh, Giddy and uh, Alperin ranked higher than him most places, but I, Garuba was my favorite guy that I watched. Yeah, I actually think he will be a good shooter. I loved his mechanics. I loved them. Was it, is it, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm going to call him Rocco. Rocco is like, I don't like his mechanics at all in his shooting. And Garuba, I loved his mechanics and the hustle. And he was by far my favorite player in this draft. That's awesome to hear, really. Uh, I feel every day more and more alone with my Garuba's top international player um, take. But the reality oh. of it, and it's, it's, it's funny that you bring up the shooting mechanics because he's, he has worked a ton on it. And the improvement he has made this year, uh, especially... I would say that the shooting mechanics at the beginning of the year weren't even close to as fluid and as, you know, sound and compact as they were at the end of the year. Mm. The, the problem with Garuba has had always been he, you know, when a player kind of segments his shot and the transmission of energy from the up force to the upper body motion at times seems like he's, okay, I finished this move, so I, I'm starting this one. And, you know, the results were all over the place. But now the it looks... honest free throw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now it looks compact. It, it looks fluid. And I think, look, with the defensive value that he could bring at the NBA level, with the ability oh to <sighs> defend threes, fours, switch onto wings and switch onto centers, uh, just because of how strong he is. And, you know, with the opportunity on offense, the offensive rebounding, which is to me is amazing and super instinctive. Uh, the defensive rebounding and, you know, just he's a smart player you, as well. You, meant, you mentioned you've been watching them for a few years now. Would you say that he had, he's been making a strong effort to improve in the areas where he wasn't, say, as good as the others? It's, it's difficult for him because unlike Giri and Schengen and Prokacin, Garuba plays in one of the top three, four teams in the world outside of the NBA, which is Real Madrid. Yeah. So when you look at Schengen, he's the first option on a mid-tier team in Turkey. 
When you look at Giddy, uh, his team is also, was also middle of the pack in Australia. When you look at uh, Prokacin with Sibona in the Adriatic League, is that's not one of the top teams. And none of those three leagues are an, a, a, a top league in the world. But Garuba is being in a top team. He's kind of the fifth option. So there isn't a ton of minutes and a ton of film from this year for him to show that. But when you go back to last year, when he was still a junior and played some junior tournaments, you could see the development, especially in the shooting. And I think this year, what he really proved is that he can make stuff happen, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, the reason I asked was one of you guys mentioned the effort and the defense. One of the things I wrote down about my notes was he runs back on defense with a purpose. Like he, yeah. he wants to be the first guy back on defense. So you, you see that the effort is there and that he's going to put in the work. I was just hoping that when he puts in the work that it'll translate into results. I've watching him play. He looked, uh, obviously this would be his ceiling would be maybe like a poor man's Draymond green type. I feel like even if he didn't develop, <laughs> that's where I want him to go. If he didn't develop a, a jump shot, he could he set he could set solid screens and then work in the space. With I don't know how long his wingspan is, but it looked to be seven two. I think I saw it was absolutely yep. ridiculous. And I feel like even if he doesn't develop a shot, with how hard he plays on the floor, assuming his work ethic. Work ethic off the court is the same as it is on the court. I don't see how he's not a successful NBA player, even if he's not, you know, uh, the third guy on a title team. I, I don't see how he doesn't find a spot in the NBA. Yeah. I, I, and No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I seen where he's mocked. The Draymond Green comparison comes in. I want Golden State to draft to draft him. And that would be the perfect place. He just takes over for Draymond and he's got Steph Curry teaching him how to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I think the karma of having so much talent talent during the years. Uh, I, I don't know how, how much I want talented players to go to Golden State, but um, no, just being serious. The thing with Garuba is that Garuba has been in the spotlight. So, so, one of the things when you look at international players when they're young, you look at how are they are performing when they play one year, two years up in age, right? So Garuba was MVP of the under-16 tournaments as a 14-year-old. That's that. This was in 2016. That is unheard of. And then he came back in 2018, played another under-16 tournament, and he was an MVP because you know he was like He's a man among boys. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He did, his team didn't win, and when your team doesn't win, generally you don't get MVP. But like he was putting sixteen and twelve as a fourteen-year-old against sixteen-year-olds, and so that early development, I think. And and here's the thing that I love about him, even though you could see again, that he was a man amongst boys, he, that never was an excuse for him not to put in the effort. And you see a lot of times with guys that are just bigger and stronger than everyone, um, they stop putting the effort. And that's not the case with him. And you see it on the court. 
I don't I don't have any intel off the court by all accounts from people that, that I hear of. He's a hard worker. He's an awesome guy, really good kid. Um, so no, also no indication that, you know, he's not going to get to the NBA and put in that work. Um, and also something that a lot of people look at is, um, you know, their family. And if there are other athletes in the family, he has a brother who's going to be draft eligible in 2023. And I don't want to say he's a better defender than Usman, but it's, <laughs> It's right on that alley. It's like Usman, but six foot four and better shooter, I guess. I subscribe to the to the notion that the youngest sibling is going to be the best at the sport because they are always going against their older siblings who are more talent. They're older than them, so they're more talented. So they're they're sharpening their skills against better players. Uh, like Michael Jordan always said, his older brother was the only guy who he put on his level when he was growing up. Type stuff. It, I, I even, um, what is it? The Zellers, Cody Zeller yeah. plays for the Hornets. His older brother, Tyler played for the Celtics and at North Carolina, they had a, a third brother who played overseas somewhere. It's LaMelo. There's just, yeah. I stand, I stand by that statement. That's a really good theory. That's a, and, and also they generally tend to pick up basketball earlier because they, if they pick it up at the same age as their brothers, they have, one to the 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 difference in years of development I have it, uh, yeah. yeah so that's a really good theory i would say but we all yeah. love usman who who do you have after do you have any more thoughts on usman before we move on to you no, the, the only thing i would say is that i said on a podcast like two years ago when i was doing the 2019 fiba tournaments that Garuba is one of the few prospects where the Draymond comparison doesn't seem like Fair. doesn't seem out of reach. Like it's difficult to compare a player with a Hall of Famer, a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, but uh, and and also I I don't think the passing in the last few years has developed to a point where I I'm comfortable with that. Uh, comparison a hundred percent, but he can be a light version of him just because of, you know, the the IQ on defense and offense, the instincts and the the uh, physical tools and the effort. I I I think he could derive a, a a similar value to Draymond for 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 a team, and that's super valuable in the NBA, especially if we trust that he's going to be able to shoot. Maybe not quite the playmaker that Draymond is, but he can still read the defense and make the correct pass most of the time. Definitely, yeah. So my number two prospect, I this is where it starts to get tricky. And I will say that a ton of prospects can make me look dumb this year because I think it's going to be based on the situation a lot, for especially for the next group. But between Giddy and Schengen and Prokalchin, I have to go with Joshua Giddy because I think his archetype is just so much more valuable than the archetypes of Schengen and Prokalchin. Um, so Giddy is a six foot eight um, or six foot nine, depending on who you ask, but I'm, I'm rolling with the, his listed height of six foot eight. Uh, six foot eight point guard, six foot eight primary initiator can make every pass in the book. Uh, 
runs pick and roll like a regular size point guard um, and just, you know, has mastered the art of reading a defense and hit the guys that are two or three passes away. And that generates open shots for teammates. And when you have that at six foot eight, you generally create a ton of advantages and create a ton of open shots for, for, for your team. The bad part and why I don't have a n- number one is uh, mainly, in my opinion, I also think he's going to shoot at the NBA level. Uh, but mainly, in my opinion, I don't think he passes certain athletic thresholds. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think you have to be dunking on everybody to be an NBA prospect. But I do think he's going to be limited in his scoring and his self-creation just for his lack of uh, explosiveness, both vertical explosiveness and explosiveness of a standstill to to get by his men. So, uh, well, but yeah, def- when you def- when you say that, uh, one of the one of the things I wrote down. Sorry, not I didn't mean to jump in, but I just thought it was really timely. Yeah. I said not an athlete, and it shows. Even his closeouts on the three point shots are so soft that he almost never gets out there to contest. And it's it seemed like it was because he he knew if he he didn't have the athleticism to close out hard enough and still be confident in his ability to recover. So he even he recognizes that lack of athleticism, but you can see on the court now where it hampers him. No, that's a great point. I it. I think that's going to be something that's going to keep him down from being able to be the player that he thinks he is right now in the Australian league. And I think if he can, I don't know how you really get more athletic, the older you get. Um, but I, not to be negative. I, when he said, when Ignacio said, I, he thinks he's going to succeed in the NBA. The league has went, has turned to a system where you have to have two playmakers. You have to have two creators. The jazz lost Conley and you saw what that did to their offense. It just crippled them. the, the Philadelphia 76ers were depending on Ben Simmons to be that secondary guy. And he couldn't come through. The Hawks have Trey young and Bogdanovich. The bucks have Middleton and holiday. I'm not counting Giannis. Mm-hmm. the, the Suns have Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the Clippers have Paul George and they got lucky because Utah's secondary guy was also hurt, but they have Kawhi. It's the league. It's becoming necessary to have a guy who can break down the defense and then get the ball to a second guy who can then break the defense completely and score. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's going to be more of a spot up shooter, not as predominantly ball handling like he is right now, but he does have the skills, those passes like the, it's the Lamelo. If you want him, if he becomes Lamelo, then it's a great pickup. Yeah, exactly. And I think going back to that, I I think the when you have a a, a guy that's going to initiate offense for for everyone, I think that player needs to have a certain scoring gravity to him, because if if teams know that you can score, that you can get to the rim, that you can create enough space they're just going to play the pass and they are just going to um dare you to um get to the rim because nobody's going to close out on you nobody's going to bring the help from the corners or from the wings 
Um, and one of the things that happened with, with Giddy is that to me, he's extremely reliant on screens to drive to the rim. So did he but, have like a floater or any, any sort of like that mid range in between game where he could come, you know, come off those screens after the defense is kind of scrambling and maybe into that Chris Paul area, the elbow jump shot. He, he does, he does. Uh, I mean, he could develop it. The touch is certainly that there, but again, if you, I think the point you made about having as many guys doing playmaking for others on the court is super valid. And in his case, you need to pair him with make place for himself. Like, let's say you put up the Utah Jazz example. And offensively, that's a good fit because you have Donovan Mitchell, who's not going to be your primary passer, but he's going to create for himself. And now you pair him with a guy who's not going to do much creation for himself, but he's going to create for others. And now you have a lot of, um, you know, all your self-creation in the perimeter needs in two players. And then you can surround them with whatever you need. The fit kind of falls through there to me just because of the defense and that's another great point that Trey made which is not only in his closeouts but I feel like his overall um, effort especially in later part of the year defensively wasn't there and I don't know if it's a business decision which I would totally get something like hey I'm going to the NBA next year I'm not going to be physical on defense or if it's something where, okay, I just can't compete physically with, you know, Australian leagues, league forwards and bigs, and I can go through screens and I'm not, you know, I think it's a bit of both, but definitely to the NBA. And I don't know the answer to your question, Sean, about how can you get more athletic, but definitely I think you can get stronger mm-hmm. and you can get more used to playing through contact. And I think that that should do wonders for him. But I would yeah. love to see, I, I feel like he would succeed somewhere like the Bulls. And I know the Bulls don't have a first round pick, but just playing next to Zach and having a, a five that can shoot, really shoot the three ball. He, he has plenty of places he can succeed. He's another one of those guys. I don't see how he's not in the league for eight years, mm-hmm. even if he's your backup point guard. Yeah, I think defensively he needs to go to a team that uh, with a good coach that can, like Billy Donovan would be a great choice for him. Defensively, he needs somewhere that, and he needs to get stronger. Like he said, Ignacio, he's not going to get more athletic, so he needs to get stronger so he can handle bigger guys because he's not going to be quick enough to guard the quick point guards. So he needs to be able to handle like a, a small forward down low. Yeah, I think two cents some threes is the best scenario for him. Like some twos and some threes. Like you're, he's probably that player that you don't necessarily hide him on defense, but you don't want him to, you put him on the wing or forward from the other team that has less creation ability. Mm. Um, I, I think another um, potential scenario for him in terms of NBA fit and this is something that I've been thinking a lot recently is that when you have a wing initiator, uh, like a six foot seven, six foot eight guy initiating all your offense, 
I think you need to have that sort of player as a backup as well. Just because then you can run the same type of offense if your six foot eight initiator goes to the bench or is resting or is injured. So that way you don't have to change your entire offense because a six foot eight player who can pass and it's a point guard can't run the same place as a six foot two, six foot three regular size point guard because a lot of that needs vision and passing over the top of the defense and a lot of smaller guys can't do that. So I think that's like, let's say Giddy doesn't work as a, as a, you know, as a starter. Well, I think he can work as a backup for a Lamelo, as a backup for a Luca, as a backup for Kate Cunningham in, in Detroit, hopefully. Um, so <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. It's <laughs> just the second round I, pickup. <laughs> I remember uh I don't I don't remember what pod it was. I think it I think it might have been Chad Ford's pod. Somebody brought up that Giddy the the fear was he might end up being Tomas Sadaransky was his floor where he was the, he was the guard coming off the you know the big guard who had some vision and could come in off the bench and make play and I love Sadaransky on the Bulls but I I could see where he could that could be his floor do you, Re- do you see that at all remember I I have probably the best comparison I've I've seen for for Giddy the best NBA comparison. My my guy uh, Mike Rivenham for the Sepian made it on on Twitter. Remember pre-draft when some section of draft Twitter was saying that Luka Don Doncic was fat and slow and unathletic and like body control isn't part of athleticism apparently. Uh, I don't know, but y- you remember that time, right? I remember the Luca haters. I was not yeah. one. I was all in on Luca, but I do remember Same. the Luca haters. So Mike Rivenov said on a tweet that Joshua Giddy is what Luca haters thought Luca was. <laughs> and oh, I think good. that I think that's a perfect comparison. Because and and I was watching, I was watching Giddy coming into this podcast a few weeks ago, and I was like, wait, this is what People were saying about Luca before he got into the draft, and so of of course Mike thought about it before. But yeah, I th- I think that's it, and and I think a part of that is, and this is something that we talked before the podcast, having that six foot eight passing archetype and having so many success stories, I think is kind of making people overrate him a bit in terms of draft stock, and I think they are looking at the success stories, but they are not looking at what Giddy doesn't have that your Lamello, Cade, Luca already have. So I feel like all three of those guys are you can see how much more you can see how more athletic they are than Giddy. Just yeah. it just shows clearly anytime you watch watch them play. Yeah. That I that's exactly true. Um who is your next one then, Ignacio? I would say at this point, I would be ready to take Alper and Schengen. Um, Schengen is a 6 foot 9 center out of Turkey. Uh, most recent MVP of the Turkish PSL, which is the first division league there. Um, just to get a bit of background on Schengen, he was, I think, in my 
top players of the 2002-born generation. He was around 10, 11 coming into the year. Um, so a guy that I didn't have as an NBA prospect, but he was you know, right there on the gates as a fringe NBA prospect. And then he goes to summer, he works on his body, like he loses a bunch of pounds, becomes more mobile, both laterally and north to south, and just, you know, goes out there to the Turkish league. And his team starts one, one and nine to start the year. They fire, their, they fire their coach. They rally around Schengen who puts up something like 22 and 10 for an 18 year old and they make the playoffs and get to the final four where they, you know, got uh, eliminated by uh, FH, which is a powerhouse there in Turkey. Uh, but on, 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 on every level, this season was a success for Schengen. Um, the thing with Schengen, so with Schengen, the main attractives are the production, how much he worked on, coming into the NBA and how much you expect him to work uh, on, on the rest of his game coming into the NBA. And just someone who's going to be a strong presence at the rim on both ends of the floor, um, who can rebound the basketball, uh, finish at the rim, create his own shot at the rim, and also mix in some perimeter skills on offense. Um, the question with Schengen and why I don't have him uh, more don't have him up is first the size i don't think he has center size and most important and i i don't think he's unathletic because whenever people mention schengen they just see his body type and say he's unathletic i think he's athletic but i don't think he's explosive and i think when you are an undersized center um, you need some sort of level of explosiveness to compensate for your lack of size and be an explosive rim protector. And I think the best path for Schengen to be an NBA defender is what that he is a good, you know, defender of a standstill. And he could be, but how much value defensively are you getting there? So that that's kind of my concern with him that his archetype is a bit, you know, outdated for for uh, an NBA current day center. He is the guy you have to hide on defense. I feel like when I watched him. Yeah, it's all about basketball IQ at that point, and he needs to get better at timing and reading the defense to make up for his lack of size. And we always lead off speed. negative. Why do we keep leading off negative, Sean? When <laughs> no, on he, offense he was he was great yeah. though. He really. Watching him, it really reminded me of watching Sabonis with the Pacers. Because yeah. like you said, like Ignacio said, he's not super explosive, but he, he's more athletic than you think because it surprises you whenever he has like a powerhouse dunk or when he'd have one of his really smooth dribble moves into just a, a nice layup. And he's got great vision too, and he uses his size for those extra passing angles that even Giddy doesn't have. It's like, and he's... He's a, a really well-rounded offensive player who puts in who is always putting in the effort. He, but like you said, it's like his he's young and his defensive awareness rating kind of thing is it's only going to get higher the more comfortable he gets on the defensive end. Because you could see where it just seemed like sometimes he would get a little lost 
almost like his body was moving too fast for his head. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. I like that. I think I like the way Ignacio put it before was everybody's drafting on the potential of the superstars, the success stories that have happened. And they're not always thinking about the flip side, but that leaves Rocco then. Rocco Kokachin. Oh, well, hold on just a second. Cause I, um, I like Shingun. I like, okay. Do you think if he can't play on defense, I really think he could work as a secondary unit guy, like how, um, Daniel Tice was coming in off the bench and playing with the second units and being in, or like Al Horford with the Thunder whenever they would play him. I, I feel like I, I, I think he's also going to be in the league. I, Rocco, I'm not sure, but I wanted, I wanted to come out and say, like, I really believe in him to find a spot. I think he's, he's a really talented player who is, I think he's going to find a spot in the NBA. Yeah, I think so. So the first thing, and you know, it's funny that uh, Sean brings the success stories because I think we haven't seen a success story with Alperen Schengen's archetype and size for a while, right? So we can't. If if I tell you to think about a player that does most of his damage with his back to the basket, is six foot nine and doesn't really have a great output on defense in terms of you know rim protection or even switchability i don't think there are many even starters in the nba with that archetype but when you put all of the things that that trace said you know he's um he plays with effort he um he's a smart player he knows how to make passes he knows how to read a defense um and you know the potential as a shooter which i think it's there uh if he's taking shots off the dribble even though i think he shot 21% from 3 this year i think the versatility on the shot makes me believe that he can you know improve as a shooter off the catch in the nba and get to you know your low to mid 30s um i think there's when you put it all together there's definitely value there it's a matter of how you fit that into a team. Like, and when you start thinking, okay, if, if Schengen is going to play in my team, and this is a question that I bring to you, if Schengen is going to play in your team and he's going to be a starter, what do you want next to him in the front court? Do you want... So I think if he's not going to give you enough rim protection, I'm not going to lead, lead off with this, if he's not going to give you enough rim protection, you have to have a rim protector next to him. A guy that's going to be primary tasked with being the low man and rotating every time there's a leak in the, in the perimeter and someone gets to the rim, right? Okay, so then he plays the four. Are you comfortable with him defending the Paul George, the, I don't know, the you know creators of the four in, in this NBA? Right, and, and at, at that point, it's you're not, and you you have to try and hide him somewhere else. But teams are teams are so good these days at having those creators. Where where would you hide him on the Clippers on Batum? You try, yeah, and yeah. Batum would just be setting screens left, right, and center. Or or even like if he 
gets tasked with rotating to the interior because Batumi is going to stay in the corner. He's not going to be in the dunker spot. So if he's if Schengen is tasked with rotating to the interior and the ball swings to Batum open in the corner, either Batum's going to hit a three or even worse, like he's going to attack that closeout. And Schengen is mobile and can move his feet in the perimeter, but I, I think one of you guys said something like, he moves too much, I think, and like he doesn't have the control to, you know, go back at times. I, I, I feel like he's still adjusting to his new weight um in in that sense. But but yeah, so I you, I, I you you mentioned who would you like to see him play with. I kind of when you brought up the idea of him playing like in Dallas next to Porzingis. But Porzingis doesn't offer any rim protection anymore. Maybe Porzingis in New York. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point, and I I'd be worried about your your switchability there, uh, especially with the NBA going smaller and smaller at the four. But like that's a good fit. That's I a mean, good fit. It, right. and both and with, both with can shoot. Having, they can spread the floor. Yeah, yeah. And with them having Luca and KP already, it's not like defenses already don't have plenty of targets to try and get. And hit. <laughs> So that, that's yeah. one, like, you see the Hawks play Lou Williams and Trey Young together, and all year we thought, there's no way this will work. And then it works, but you can only target one guy at a time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think, so, he's, I think he's a bench player at the start of his career, and he has to work his way up. Get, he has to get used to the body. Like, if, if he shed a bunch of pounds and he's not used to his weight, then, like when you talked about a six nine guy with not a very long wingspan back to the basket, I'm like Carlos Boozer, but he didn't have to play in today's NBA. <laughs> I I don't think any of these guys are starters coming in. Personally, is the I, closest, but I don't know if I want him to start like hardcore right away. So these were the the three, and then the fourth. Uh, I can't say his name. Rocco. Rocco Percaccio. 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 Exactly. You nail it. So yeah, Rocco is 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 the number four. Um, for me, I I I even think there are some 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 other prospects. One of them in particular that we can touch down on just as a sleeper that could go over Rocco, but. I think I like to um, say that Rocco's archetype is six foot nine wildcard, just because he has a, a foundation of skills in terms of uh, driving, shooting, passing for his size, which is a great size for someone who does so much of those perimeter skills. But at the same time, he hasn't really mastered any of those areas. So you and and that's where the wild card thing comes with if he develops into just one of those three areas and he can hang his hat on one of those skills, he has a place in the NBA for, for a long time. But if he doesn't develop um, any of them and he just continues to give kind of a baseline value of those three areas, then he's probably someone who slips through through the cracks and you never know what he's going to do at a reliable level. 
I, I wrote down that he, he was, he seemed like a more creative Joe Ingles who can't shoot. Uh, but I noticed he took a, a few, quite a few floaters and with a guy who can, who, like you said, he has a, a variety of skills. He's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, but at his size and with his ability to handle and kind of navigate defenses with screens, if he had a dependable floater, that would be something that would be really hard to defend, especially if he could develop a lob threat for, you know, centers having to come over and try and challenge it. Is Have you seen any – Have did you notice the floater? Is that something that he's had before, or was that just something I happened to notice in the few games I watched? I don't think he took many floaters this year, really. I that, that's dis- That's disappointing. That was the one thing I was excited to ask you about with, with him. Let, let 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 me let me go through the stats real quick but i had i had the the stats here for him sorry i know this doesn't make good no audio. no it's uh, like I'll, oh i sprung this, I watched, this is my fault <laughs> when i watched his tape he kind of felt like he wanted to be luca almost like he thought he could try to be luca with the he, it just he didn't have that shot like he had a lot of drives to the basket like he said he could finish around the rim he could do all those different things but he just he there wasn't one thing that i was like wow that's his great thing for that and he's trying to do it all and not really coming out with anything special yeah i think one of the things that people are going to get caught up on with him is that the passing in transition, he has these moments where he like threads the needle. I think I would say it's more similar to a Denny Abdiya coming off last year's draft than a Luca, just because of that full court, you know, grab grab the ball and throw those those darts, those bounce passes in the middle of traffic. And that's super aesthetically pleasing. But when it comes to you know passing in the half court. I, I feel like that's where that that's where he's a little more more limited, I guess. Um so yeah, I'm I'm looking at his floater numbers here and yeah, they're not really <laughs> I we can I can tell from the tone of your voice. And I, I, it was just I, those I, couple I, games. <laughs> I, I, know, I don't even know that he made them. I just I just noticed that he, he shot a few of them and I it it just kind of caught my eye, someone that big who could dribble the ball because like Nasio said he's not a great passer in the half court he's not I didn't notice him passing people open but he was able to kind of you know dribble and navigate and with a floater I thought well that that could be his little his little niche or niche you know come off the bench and be this little six or not little be this six nine pain in the ass who can come in (laughs) run off the screen and you know throw up a floater that's going to go in and help survive some bench minutes for somebody when their stars are resting. Yeah. He does have vision. So if someone's open, he it does see them and make a great pass. But like you say, he's not passing anybody open. Yeah. So I have his floater numbers here is 12 of 23, actually in the restricted area this season in how many games? Let me see. In 47 games. So yeah, he, he takes a, about one floater every two games, and he makes it at a decent range, um, I, I would say. Um, but it's not something like uh, – it's something where I would like to really see him ramp up the volume there. 
Um, so here, here's, here's another uh, thing that would concern me. So he shot 55% on overall shots in the restricted area, which is a really good number for his size. But when you go, you know, from five to 10 feet from the rim, he shot 30%. And when you go to 10 to 15 feet, he shot 22%. So obviously his game is not the mid range. So I don't know how much. He's I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to translate. Yeah, exactly. It feels like Ben Simmons. So, it, but when he we shoots first, though. Yeah, at, oh, least, yeah. at <laughs> least he'll shoot. He'll take them. He'll so take them. We, he'll try. When we started talking about Rocco, you were like, well, I really like my sleeper guy a little bit better. Like, we, I could definitely tell that you wanted to talk about somebody else. Yes, we have so, to talk about Rocco. So now that we're done with the Rocco talk, who is your guy? So I feel like I'm I'm alone on this take, but he seems, especially after the G League camp, but so I'm gonna say that he's Johan Begarin, six foot five guard from wing, I would say from France, uh, with a seven foot wingspan, extremely explosive and quick and fast in the open court, um, super strong for his age. He went to the G League camp, didn't really stood out there, but the G League camp, he was by far the youngest prospect there. He's 16 years old. The G League camp is generally upperclassmen. Um, and generally also, even if you're a freshman in the US, you're generally a bit older than the guys coming off the quote unquote fresh international freshmen, you know, the, the guys in, in his first their first year of eligibility. Um, the thing with Begarin, I, and why he is maybe, maybe not on so many people's radars is that coming into the season, he had a ton of things that he hadn't addressed yet. The shooting was one of them. The amount of turnovers he got was another one of them. Uh, and he seemed to play faster than... You know, he seemed to play faster that, than he could think. And he plays really, really fast. And now what I've seen this season, especially at the end of the season, is him just, the game slowing down for him, him learning how to play in a different, um, at a different um, speed. And so when you have a six foot five guy that now all of a sudden he's able to shoot off the dribble, run pick and rolls, uh, and create drives with this impressive uh, explosiveness and first step and finish reliably over people. I just don't see how he's not a first round type of prospect. But what did you say his wingspan was seven feet. What? Yes. Yeah. Six foot. I think six foot six, five. Yeah, six foot four seven. on the website. Yeah. But six foot five in some places. But like a seven foot wingspan, that's incredible. Yeah, that's that's insane, and and it really shows. It really shows in how he's able to get to the rim and finish reliably there, but also on defense. Uh, he really is able to deny penetration, get a lot of um, steals and deflections just by you know being active with his arms and covering passing lanes. So um, if if there's a guy beyond the top four that we talked about internationally that you should watch out for in this draft. I feel it's Begarin. I feel it's Begarin because of the age and just 
no, I think athletically he's also ready for, for the NBA. You mentioned him using his length and being able to, you know, get his arms in the passing lanes. With the way the NBA is going, you, you see Trey Young come off the screens and then he has, you know, he has the three options. And the defense just basically has to try and make life hard on him or make him hesitate enough that the defense can recover. Going forward, having guys with these long wingspans who are active in the passing lanes, who might who make the offensive creator hesitate or have to change their passing lane where it, it gives the defense a half second to recover. Everything is so quick in the NBA that that half second can be the difference between an open shot or a block jumper. And having those guys who can create a little bit of chaos for the offense. And that's, that's huge for teams. And if you, if he's as talented as you're saying, and it, you said he plays fast, does he play fast on defense too? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I would say, yeah. Um, obviously there's a few times where he's, he's still an 18 year old. So off the ball, he can get caught ball watching. He can get, he can try to do too much at times. He, he can try to gamble, but that's one of the things where I'm comfortable with him going to the NBA and a coach, you know, just working with him and say, hey, don't do this, do that. I, I want a guy who gambles, like a young guy. I, I would rather have the guy who is putting in a little too much effort, who's, you know, maybe the... I, that's what I would be look, like. I would much rather have that than someone who looks like Giddy on defense, who is... <laughs> you know, not, I don't want to say coasting, but. Um, yeah. Not putting, putting way less effort on defense than an offense. Right. So, and yeah. so I like that. Um, we were so, actually going to do, Oh, go ahead. No, I would say that if you, we, I, I hundred percent agree with the creating chaos on defense thing. And just to circle back, if you want someone who's going to create chaos, draft Garuba. Josh's Mangaruba because he's gonna create. A you stole that. Players. I was I was gonna do the whole tie it together thing. Man. <laughs> sorry, 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 but you know, great minds think alike. Do Do you have anything else you want to talk prospect wise before I transition us into the next thing? Not really. The second round looks. Uh, the The second round looks okay. I would say a lot of specialists there. Uh, you have Philip Petrusev from. Previously on Gonzaga, he's going to come to the NBA, be six foot ten and shoot jumpers. Um, Rogas Yokubaitis, I still can't decide if he's a point guard or a shooting guard. I think he's more of a guy that's going to create off gravity. Uh, but you know, getting that creation in the half court is something that is going to be the difference for him. Uh, Gabriele Prasida from Italy, another like shooting specialist, but super skinny. Who else we got? Ariel Hukpori is seven feet. Um, it's quite the descriptor. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just glad to know he talks to himself because he said, who else do we got? I, I didn't know the last two guys you said, sir. So you, um, you well passed me up. If I, if I can, if I can uh, offer some advice on who to watch next, if you're going to watch a player internationally, and with this we can close it out, is Brands Um 
so I was one of the biggest fans of Alexei Pokoshevsky coming into the league. Uh, and I think I was one of the first to write about him way, way back when. Um, and if you like tall guys with confidence who think they can make every shot, who think they can make every pass and end up games with stat lines like seven points, 12 assists, seven rebounds, something like that. Go watch Brent Spleichenberg, six to ten point guard out of Belgium. Um, a six and, ten point guard. Yeah, six ten point <laughs> guard, uh, and he also gets blocks and 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 steals just for. He's not like your primary defender because he's still super skinny, but he can rotate. He can block shots. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys. When you watch him, you watch him not just scouting him. You watch him for the experience of watching a, a unique type of prospect. So, and he can get, he can actually get his name called in the second round this year. So yeah, definitely uh, a, a few players to watch there, but Brand's one of my favorite guys there. We were gonna, we were gonna bring it up at the beginning, but it just flowed so nicely. I thought we'd go ahead and do the draft talk. We learned last night, thanks to your reaction on Twitter, that you are a Detroit Pistons fan. Yes. Yes, so, I am. So one, congratulations on Cade Cunningham. <laughs> Thank it, you so much. Very, very well deserved. Um, I loved a couple months ago, I made the point, I thought that we were going to look back on this last offseason that Detroit had as the, the pivot point for the franchise going forward into a better positive direction because you signed Grant and then you had – Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, and Killian Hayes all in the draft class. It, Detroit, it was already on the come up, and adding Kate to that mix is just – it's going to be so good for you guys. And as a Bulls fan, it just really sucks for me. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you should not be sorry. Detroit deserves this. No, just yesterday before the draft, we were doing. Uh, I was invited to a stream of of people from from draft Twitter, and they were saying, "Okay, who do you want to get? Who do you want to get the pick?" And uh, my my take was, I don't want teams that recently had uh, a franchise MVP type of player, because I think. It's time for one of those franchises who haven't had a player of this level for a while to get a Kate Cunningham. So I, I wouldn't have been mad if Orlando gets him. I wouldn't been mad if I don't know who else was there. Uh, I, I I'm not gonna say Sacramento because they could have had Luca and they, you know. I wouldn't Sacramento have been mad things. if Houston would have ended up with the number one pick. Oh, I would have been mad. They, yeah. they 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 got yeah they got hardened uh and they got hardened what one two years after how many years were but i i feel like that was just a good gm like that yeah, that was, was a, a franchise they 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 ran their franchise the right way if chris paul doesn't get hurt they might have like i just i feel bad for the rockets not winning a title after having all of that success so like i wouldn't I'm, have hated that I'm sorry if I can't feel bad for a franchise that was a perennial title contender. Meanwhile, Detroit hasn't smelled success in the past 12 years. Oh, uh, no, no. I'm sorry that I can't feel bad about them. 
Well, I was more trying to rack my brain into who could have moved up. Yeah. And like we, I don't want to be the, the, the Homer guy who says the Bulls would have been fun. I was really happy to see Sean's Toronto Raptors move up after having to spend the year in Tampa Bay and going through everything that team went through this season. It was, it was so deserved that they were able to move up and get a top guy. So like, it was a great lottery. It really sucked for my team, but overall I thought the lottery is going, it's going to really, it's going to help a lot of franchises. Um, It's going to raise the floor of the NBA. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like Grant Hill was the last Detroit Pistons draft pick. That was, was there anybody after that? No, that's the last franchise guy I remember. Yeah, because the the 2004 guys were all either free agents or trades. Like the only draft pick in that team score was uh, Tatian Prince, and he was like a 22, 23 overall pick. So yeah, yeah, dark like the Darko spot was there was the chance to add somebody who would have been, you know, but yeah, Detroit hasn't had a guy, and the like they've been through a lot. I used to listen to Jalen and Jacoby on the radio. Um, quite a bit and I guess I remember him talking about the team moving away the the team's just been through a lot and to see everything coming back together for them it's it's really cool to see and I think it's a really good story for the NBA yeah I think so and the thing is and I, I obviously don't live in Detroit never been there um should have probably picked a more a team with more success to root for but no, you you never pick these things. But um, all you all you hear in the press generally when it comes to not only basketball but any sport, whether it is football or you know whatever, Detroit is always the laughing stock. Detroit is always the place that the press tells you, oh, nobody wants to be there. Um, and so, like, our the football team's rebuilding as well. Um, and so to finally have, you know, the star there, because l- l- let, let me put it this way, the Blake Griffin years, that Blake Griffin trade was, was awful. And we knew it was going to be awful, and it was awful. And Stan Van Gundy is never going to work in the NBA again because of that. And he shouldn't. Um, so I, I don't want to make any enemies, but like that's the fucking truth so we <laughs> told the pelicans the- i was getting ready to say i think we saw that with the pelicans this year <laughs> the pelicans learned a year too late i mean he wasn't bad as a coach like his rotations were kind of trash but as a gm as the people making the person making the decisions in the front office we're talking about a guy who drafted Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellinson, and Luke Kennard in back-to-back-to-back years with Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell available two or three picks later after them. And in all of those cases, it was a reach. Like, nobody can tell me, oh, hindsight is 2020. Yeah, but, you know, Stanley Johnson was, you know, overdrafted by like five picks and Luke Kennard was overdrafted by like 
10 picks. You know, you were blown away by those great Duke years. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I, 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 I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> like, well, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, the ratings that the NBA has been getting these last couple rounds, like they, they've been way up. Some of the numbers have never been higher since they started tracking some of the numbers back in 2002. And Ignacio, you had tweeted out something about how the NBA, if they couldn't sell the, like this group of players to the fans, then it was a failure of the media and it was a failure of the NBA. And I think what we're seeing with the ratings coming in is even if the media is kind of letting us down by continuously talking about LeBron and Curry, the fans are seeing all of this great basketball happening and having like the top five picks are going to Detroit, Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, and Orlando. We're going to have so much talent just spread throughout the entire league that I, I really hope that it, it helps the NBA embrace this idea that there is there's somebody worth marketing on every team at this stage every almost every team has somebody that's worth putting the time and the effort into building up and that's the way they worry so much about trying to sustain the markets and all these small markets and oh you can't have small markets and blah 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 if you want the small markets to succeed you have to build them up look how great milwaukee's doing Stephen A. Smith isn't wrong. Milwaukee is not a destination city. It's fucking cold there. It's miserable. Like, it's, it's not somewhere if you have millions of dollars, you're looking to settle down in the dead of winter. But Giannis got drafted there, and he, he felt the loyalty. He felt at home. And they built that Milwaukee Bucks team up because of Giannis. And I feel like if – we can focus on building up the rest of these teams that way. It won't be hard to sell people on Devin Booker being a star if instead of the last four years we've been saying, well, he's a bad, he's a good stats, bad team guy. We've been building up how great he was when he was on. Like there's just so much, so much better aspects we could have to this. And I think this is going to help transition us into hopefully a more positive, better media spectrum. I think there's a lot of things there. I'm going to start with the last one, which is maybe we should stop judging players, especially rookies, after their first month in the league. And I think that's, that's really bad for the league, and that's really bad for the players. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here... And say, oh, don't don't bully the players. Like you shouldn't cyber bully anyone, really. Uh, especially grown men shouldn't go out there and cyber bully 19, 19-year-old kids. But I think the biggest point is that let let the kids develop. Let them have three, four years, and maybe when they are at the end of the rookie contract, you say, okay, this big worked, this big didn't. Uh, or you know this is wasn't an NBA guy or he didn't develop the way we we thought it he would. One word I hate is the word bust because I I, I know what it stands for, but when you say a player is a bust, it's generally talk 
is generally directed at the player and not the circumstances he was brought into the NBA. So, and, and going back to Detroit, this year I think it was a, a really fun experiment when where they got a bunch of those quote unquote busts. You know, they had um, Josh Jackson, they brought Dennis Smith Jr. Um, you know, I, I'm, they had ja, Jalil Okafor. And so it was a way to say, okay, maybe a change of scenery can do wonders for a guy, you know? And I, I, I don't know. I think I, I derailed the conversation a bit, but I, I, I think one of the things that we need to do as media is stop saying after 10 games that a player is a bust and stop using the word bust and maybe try to think of more constructively into, hey, maybe this player could do better in this scenario, this scenario, this scenario. And maybe he can get traded. Like rookie contracts are, are valuable for trade. Um, and Devin yeah, Booker's def- 24 years old for reference. And I feel like all three of us can remember times when people have talked trash about Devin Booker as an NBA player. And it goes back to a culture of my young guy is better than your young guy. And that's something that needs to, needs to, I, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. I think I already oh, yeah. did, but I think that's something that needs to fucking end in the NBA. And, and it's one of the most pathetic things. Like there's a certain blog and podcast from a team that I'm not going to mention, but they were, it's, it's a blog and podcast that whenever a player from another team, a young player from another team is, you know, facing a player from their team for a, an end of the year award, they do, they go out and trash talk the, the other player and do shirts. Like there's a shirt called player name is a fraud and shit like that. And I think like, Yo, dude, you you are fucking pathetic. Um, well, those same dudes that defended Ben Simmons and trash talk Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for uh, just being in in an award race against him now are firing up the trade machine because they don't want Ben Simmons on their team. So, I guess all of that. Oh, my young guy, my Ben Simmons is better than your young guy. I think that shit backfired, man. I think that 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 backfired really, really bad. I think you gave us a pretty good context clue into what team you were talking about. <laughs> it's just in that city. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, if they want to complain to my Twitter, they can, but they they're gonna find that they're muted. So, no, and no. you're you're not every. I feel like almost all fan bases have a little bit of a negative section. Some fan bases are louder than others, uh, but that's. That's part of what I said earlier about um, hoping to have like a more positive type of media presence mm-hmm. because How, it's real. Oh, go ahead. No, like the, the biggest case is going to be Luca and Trey. So I, I love Luca. What about I def- DeAndre? Exactly. Oh. I, I love Luca. I defended the Luca pick for a while. And I think we all think he's the clear number one guy in this class. If we are doing a redraft, right? Yeah. But, that doesn't mean DeAndre sucks. That doesn't mean that Trey can't lead his team as a, what, 22, 23-year-old? 
yeah. to an Eastern Conference final. And the fact that Trey did it doesn't mean that Lucas sucks or that he was overrated or anything. It means that you have a draft where you have three guys that are freaking amazing. Yeah. And, and that's good for the league. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand how is it bad for the league. All three that another team, situations. Yeah, that another team has, a, a, has an awesome guy there. So we should definitely be, be more positive. That, I, that, that's I, for sure. That was a great point to bring up. I've seen a lot of the, oh, ho, ho, isn't it funny? Luca hasn't made it out of the first round. And anyone who has watched what the, what the Mavs have done, and that's insane to say anything about the postseason success Luca has had. These are all great players. And I wrote a piece earlier in the year on DeAndre Ayton and how he had found his perfect, like he, this was his perfect role. And he, this was the season that was he was going to shine, and it was it was maybe you know halfway through the season, so I I wasn't you know breaking Great any ball. news, but the, and I was I was really high on Trey Young too because of his ten assists per game. These guys being successes, they just need to we just need to like celebrate it. It's awesome watching these guys play. And it's so much fun. I love how comfortable Trey Young is being the villain and being the heel. And it that's what gets people engaged. That's what gets the casual fans, you know, sparks their interest. I, I've had I've had probably, I don't know, 10 people bring up that whole Trey Young in the garden stuff. Like that picture, you know, him looking back at the crowd. It that's good for the NBA and all of these. It's going in, in a positive direction and going into like the NBA Twitterverse and trying to like dive into more in-depth media, I guess is the way to put it. I really like the upswell of celebrating the good things and I'm just hoping that trend continues. Yeah, definitely. And I think making a more, I don't want to say... I I can't find the word in English, but going back to your point of making the talent more spread out and teams realizing that, you know, you need that franchise talent first uh, and every team having someone to market is going to do wonders for the league. Uh, And like one thing I'm not ready is for the conversation of, oh, Kate Cunningham going to Detroit is going to be bad for the league because nobody is going to want to watch the, piece, the Pistons. Uh, I don't know. Like, watch the games. And I, I think... Anyone who says that didn't watch the Pistons last year. I watched mm-hmm. probably six or seven Pistons games. And the Pistons were a fun team to watch. Yep. People, people who are saying that are people who aren't watching the games. It's really easy to watch a Pistons game and to cut highlights and to show people that it's a good time. But it's it's even easier to not watch the Pistons game and then to go on your outlet and to dog the Pistons because that's what everybody does. I, I, I have just, a question. I have I, a question. No, go I, ahead. Go ahead. I just and, thought it was a different difficult fit. I wanted to ask you about what to do with Killian Hayes. Like, do you keep Killian Hayes? Do you trade Killian Hayes? Because it's just a fit problem there because then you get bogged down with too many too many mouths to feed. Remember, I told you about Joshua Giddy being a good bet to if he didn't work as a as a starter 
to back up other six foot eight point guards. I think at the end of the day, you probably stagger like the best case scenario. Not right now because Killian is one of our five most talented players. And I think you have to find a way to play your most talented players most of the minutes. But I think the optimal scenario going down is trying to stagger Killian and Kate as many minutes as, as possible. And stay and since they have the same size, and I would say that they are similarly talented in terms of solely passing in the half court, uh, in the type of reads they make. So if you know anything happens to Cade, uh, you have Killian coming off the bench, and you can run the same exact type of offense, the same exact type of sets. And I think that's valuable. I, I, I think that's valuable. I think um, in, a, in a perfect world, you keep them both, you stagger their minutes, you play them together when you need playmaking all over the court. And if Killian doesn't end up being that guy and Kate ends up being that guy, you have Killian backing up uh, Kate as a wing initiator. Um, the worst case scenario is that neither of them are that guy and we have to rebuild again or that they are both that guy. And in that case, we, we got to trade somebody to maximize the value that we have on the court. But that's a good problem to have, I would say. <laughs> Did you have anything else, Sean, before we wrap it no, up? No, that was everything I wanted to hit in regards to. All right, um, Ignacio, do your plugs again. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Airball, E-Y-R-E Ball. Um, you can also follow ID Prospects, the site that I work for, uh, ID, at ID Prospects on Twitter and on Instagram. And our site is id-prospects.com. If you need any type of info or analysis on international players, we got you covered. And yeah, I have we have a podcast there as well on international prospects, so feel free to check that out and uh, I'll try to appear in, in a couple of more podcasts between now and the um, in the draft to talk about international players from this year. So yeah. If I don't nail you down before the draft, I would definitely, I'm definitely going to try and get you after the draft. Once we see where people are drafted, because you were, you just brought up a bunch of names there towards the end of guys who I'm not very familiar with. And I'm going to see these international guys get drafted in the second round. And now I have someone to go and pester about them. So that's nice. No problem, man. Just my DMs are open for you guys and for everyone, pretty much. I'm not super um, quick to reply because I, I suck at it. But uh, feel free to reach out to me with any info you, you need about international prospects. And I can give you my, my outlook. That's great to hear. And... Before you go, just last one quick question. Where do you want Garuba to go? Where's your dream scenario he gets drafted? I, I've been thinking about Memphis just because mm. I think when I look at the fit of a player, I look at the core. So the guys that I think the team is going to want to keep for four or five years down the line. And I look at the timeline. So I think Garuba fit in the timeline is a team that's either already contending and needs um and when i mean contending is 50 plus wins and second round guarantee so 
it's either a, a being de uh, bringing depth at the three and four positions to those type of teams, or in the case of Memphis, just fitting in really well with, um, you know, a five that, and here's the thing with Garuba, they're going to have a five in Jaron Jackson who shoots, who's able to protect the rim, but he doesn't rebound too well. And now you have a four in Garuba who adds to that def defensive fit, who can switch, but also can rebound. And so I feel like you can get one of the best, you know, four or five defensive combos that we've had in a long time. And Dylan Brooks and John Moran. And I think that he fits really, really, really well with that core. And also that mentality, that, mm -hmm. you know, grinded out mentality, like Garuba is perfect for that. Hopefully he gives Brandon Clark the kick in the butt he needs to get it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I am my um, all, all draft all draft Twitter is kind of um, still wondering what happened, man. Yeah, that would be that would put him dropping to seventeen. I could see, which I can definitely see happening with how it seems like everywhere you look, the ratings are all over. But that I, that gets CSC stamp of approval. I think Garuba to Memphis. Mm -hmm. I like all right, it. Sign us out, Sean. All right. Well, thank you so much. Be sure to check out Ignacio. His Twitter is a, is a blast to go to in the website. I had a lot of fun using it for the research and getting to know all these prospects. Please check us out on Twitter at charity stripe 23 on Instagram at charity stripe 23. You can follow Trey at final finally and hoops hoop dash social.com to find out what Trey's working on next. Thank you so much and have an excellent day. with 
just kitty at four and now it's like of Schengen's hype is people betting on him developing this outlier type of touch as a Jokic. And I don't know about you, but I feel more comfortable not betting that my NBA prospect is going to develop an outlier, outlier skill uh, in the history of the NBA. So, and, and that same hype goes for Giddy. I feel like people see six or eight passes. Lamelo, Luca. We can get on why that's not the case for you. I think we're ready to go here. I'm loving this. This is going to be amazing. 